Well, I am so happy to be back. I am still COVID positive, so bear with me. I'm just starting to get my energy, but I needed to show up today because this is the last episode of 2021 before we enter the new year and we start all new podcast episodes coming your way on the Connected Dots Bitch podcast. So let me give you the deets, shall I? Uh... I got COVID. I got COVID. Phil got COVID first, got me sick, even though we attempted to prevent that from happening. He wore a mask. We tried to sleep in separate rooms for a period of time. And yeah, I still got it. So we were both wiped out all through Christmas. Uh, We didn't get to see anybody. Um, We didn't even decorate the apartment because we are already packing and preparing to move. So yeah, we had a pile of Rubbermaid containers in the corner stacked with our presents (laughs) and neither of us really got off the couch for the majority of the week. So it was a good time. We bonded. I, I said to him, you know, this is definitely going to make or break us and it definitely, uh, made us a lot closer I took care of him. He took care of me. I don't wish this on anyone, but I'll tell you what, if, if you can survive getting COVID together and being trapped in a tiny one bedroom apartment through the holidays, you could probably make it through anything. One fun thing we did all week was we started binge-watching Succession on HBO Max. Shout out, huge shout out to my client who was so kind to give me her login information, uh, just out of the kindness of her heart because she knew I wanted to watch the new Sex in the City thing. And then she kept recommending Succession. She was like, you and Phil need to watch this. We started watching it. We binged through almost two whole seasons of it. Um, there's still more, mind you. But the minute Phil started to feel better, he was like, yo, we need to cap it at two episodes a night, Am, because this is this is too much. Like I'm getting antsy. They're hour long episodes and we were sitting through like four or five in a day, sometimes more. So (laughs) I'm still under the weather. I still tested positive yesterday. He's negative, but I'm like, I'll lay in bed and watch it alone. He's like, you're not, you're not watching this without me. So I started watching a whole different series, uh, Sex Lives of College Girls, which is really good and really funny. But back to Succession for a second. I'm not going to spoil it for anyone who hasn't watched, but highly recommend. My client kept saying to me, you're going to love this. There's so many fucked up family dynamics for you to analyze. And I'll tell you what, like, These are rich people problems that you're watching, but also real people problems like trust within the family um, is a big kind of topic that you're you're watching play out in many different ways. Uh, And and just like having a parent who is emotionally neglectful. 
a parent who doesn't like there was one scene again I'm not going to spoil it for you don't worry I'll, I will kind of tell it to you in a very generalized way but there was one scene recently I don't even remember what season or episode I'm on but somebody asked one of the kids in the family and it's a wealthy family who runs a very large uh business and uh they asked the kid you know, what are some fine, he was going to go in for like an interview on TV or, or a magazine or something. And they wanted to talk about his relationship with his father. And the interesting part about this is that all the kids in this family, they claim to love their father, but truthfully, they fear him and they say it frequently and they kind of interchange the words love and fear, which I'd like to kind of dig into in this episode a little bit on the topics that I'm going to talk about all kind of relate to that. In addition to that, he he's asked to share a memory a, a fond memory that he's had growing up with his father and he doesn't have any and so he makes one up a fond memory he had with one of his older brothers and he pretends that he had it with his dad and then it went into this like magazine article let's say and the father read it and the father goes hey like remind me about that fishing trip that we went on and the kid like obviously looking very fearful is like oh yeah that that wasn't that wasn't you and it it just fascinates me I could relate on so many levels which is sick and twisted and fucked up in and of itself because <laughs> because I'm not as wealthy as they are but the problems are real problems that you guys face I face families face in general people confusing love with Fear and obedience is common and something that I think we we can talk about a little bit more. Um, this episode, though, I, I might jump all over the place a little bit, but my focus is really going to be on, you know, what happens when you do grow up in an adverse childhood environment? You hear me say that a lot in my captions on Instagram. I've probably talked about it here and there in previous episodes. You've heard the term adverse childhood experience multiple times out of my mouth, maybe more than that. But, you know, what does it actually mean and how rare or common is it? Have you grown up in an adverse childhood environment and how has that impacted the trajectory of your life? So first things first, you might hear this said in a couple different ways. It's all rather interchangeable. Adverse childhood environments or adverse childhood experiences, one and the same, okay, uh, or ACE scores, all right? And basically, this is traumatic events that occur to a child before they reach the age of 18. And the reason 18 is thrown in there is because, you know, there's there's the potential that you could leave and have a different place to live before the age of 18, but most of us are financially dependent on our parents or guardians until we are of a legal adult age to go and move out and stand on our own two feet, yada, 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 okay? Things that create 
an adverse childhood experience or environment are all different types of abuse. That includes sexual abuse, physical abuse, emotional abuse. Um, that also encompasses neglect, okay? Um, things such as parental substance use, incarceration, domestic violence. This can also include situations where your parents or guardians have a diagnosed mental illness um, or being part of a family that is going through a separation or a divorce. Okay, so basically, here's what happens when you're a child in one of those types of environments. Things like parent-child role reversal can take place, where a child, whether it's on a physical, a financial, or even an emotional level, has to suddenly mature a lot quicker than they're ready to in order to parent the parent in the house, right? Again, maybe it's a financial responsibility. Maybe it's physical. Maybe that parent has a disability. Maybe that parent has a mental illness. Maybe that parent has um, a substance abuse problem and the child has to step in and kind of take care of their siblings or take care of the household responsibilities because the parent is falling short. Maybe the child and I can relate to this one, has to step up and emotionally tend to the adult's uh, mental, emotional, and physical needs and compensate for what they're not receiving when they are a child. When that particular one happens, what often takes place is that child becomes an adult who now wants to be taken care of. And I can totally attest to this because I had to really work through that at a point in my life as well when I realized, oh, wow, like I resent now having to be responsible for myself because I've, I've never had the opportunity to be a child. I never was fully taken care of on certain levels and therefore because I always had to step up and be the mature responsible one when I finally was an adult I didn't want to have to act like an adult I wanted to be a child I wanted somebody to come save me rescue me take care of me tend to my needs and I wanted to be needy because I never had an opportunity to be needy when it was actually allowed because I was a child other such behavior patterns that develop from being in these types of adverse childhood environments is things like codependency and people-pleasing. When you grow up in an environment where you have an adult in your life who doesn't know how to unconditionally give you the time, the attention, the affection, the validation that you need, want, and deserve at a young age, you might find ways to cope with that by pleasing and appeasing. And this is relative to the show I was referencing at the beginning of this episode, Succession, because again, without trying to spoil the show, generally speaking, the dynamics within this family is you have the father of the family who runs, he's like the CEO of this large corporation, and All of his kids are obviously wealthy 
because of that, some of them work within the company, some of them do not, all of them have some level of input because they have st- shares in the company. And, uh, and so, you know, they've learned that when they want something from their father, when they want validation, when, when they want love, when they want attention, when they want time, they have to manipulate the situation in order to get it because their father doesn't operate from an honest place. So to say, dad, I need a hug right now because I'm feeling sad doesn't work for them. So it's more like, okay, you know what, if I do this favor for my father and I lie and I manipulate over here or I steal and I cheat over here, I'll get my dad's approval or my dad's affection or my dad's praise. It's not going to come in the form that I want. It might not come through a hug or a kiss or the action that I'm hoping for, but I'll get a breadcrumb of it. And so... This is where when we talk about people pleasing, you often hear me say people pleasers are manipulators. You're not doing it because you think you're manipulating. You're doing it because you're trying to get the need met that wasn't met in a very natural, honest, authentic way. Like cut and dry, here's the deal. When you grow up in a house that's healthy and supportive, then you have the adults, whether they're your parents or guardians, who are equipped and capable and willing to be kind to you. And this is what a lot of people don't realize is that, I mean, a couple things here. One, if you grow up in an environment like that with adults who are able and willing to be kind, to be loving, who know what kind and and being kind and loving look and sound like, then you might find it absurd when you talk to somebody like me who's like, yeah, you know, sometimes my parents said nice things to me. And other times, in a very snarky, sarcastic way, they thought calling me a piece of trash was a joke and didn't realize how hurtful or harmful that could be to a young woman's psyche or you know, self-esteem, let's say, right? Like, so somebody in such a healthy environment can't even fathom that that's like the norm for somebody like me, right? And somebody like me who grew up in that environment had to learn what healthy looked and sounded like. Like, I had to learn that it wasn't okay for, let's use that example, right? A man to call me a piece of trash and mask it as a joke and laugh it off and then look at me when I'm in tears going like, are you kidding me? That hurts my feelings. Look at me and go, stop being so sensitive. I had to learn that wasn't okay. And that's a process in and of itself. And so when when you endure that, when you experience that for years and years and years, let's say 18 plus years of your life, that's how you're spoken to by your by the adults raising you. Then you go out into the world and, and what? What's going to happen? You don't want to. Like I can't say like I wanted other people to speak to me that way or treat me that way, but that was my norm. That was all I knew. That was all I was exposed to. That was what was familiar to me. And so it's kind of like when you always eat 
you know, your chicken a certain way, and then you go to a restaurant and they cook it and season it completely different, like, yeah, it awakens your taste buds a little bit, but it's different. And sometimes different is weird. Sometimes different is like, ew. And other times different is like, mm, give me more, right? So now, like, let's link that back to behaviors and, and belief systems. I go out into the world as an adult, and yeah, I have a recognition mentally that like, I don't like being spoken to this way, but also a belief system that being spoken to that way indicated somebody loved and cared about me. So of course, what am I going to do? I'm at conflict with myself. I'm going to lean into it and then I'm going to hate it. I'm going to lean into it and I'm going to hate it because it's not healthy. But, but my belief is what I was told, which is this means that I love you and I care about you. I'm joking with you and you're the problem. You're too sensitive. So as you can see, it can happen in two different ways, right? One way is it's actually done to you. It's said to you and you develop a belief system about yourself or about relationships or about how you deserve to be treated or not deserve to be treated. And the other side of the coin is that it's withheld from you and you develop behavior patterns and belief systems to receive it, to get it, right? Like, oh, I have to beg for it. Oh, I have to manipulate it. I have to, if I act needy, then I get it. If I act sick, I get it. If I, if I uh, position myself in a way where I am of value, I can do something for you, then I'll receive the love, attention, affection, validation that I am needing or wanting. Those are all unhealthy, but you can see how it can develop in many different ways. Now, obviously, how your childhood experience impacted you, specifically you as an individual, is going to be unique to you. There's no one way this could happen, right? Just because five of you grew up in an environment with a parent who had a substance abuse issue doesn't mean the five of you are going to have the same struggles in life. It really depends on the context of that environment, of the situations you were in, right? Like what were you thinking as a child in the moments that your mother or father or parent or guardian, whatever, were behaving in this way or this way when they said this or they did this, right? And how they behaved is unique to them. So I want to address this because I, because it's important and it's always on my mind. There's no one answer to help all of you heal from your individual experiences. This is why I do this podcast and I try to give examples from my life, examples from the lives of those that I work with or hear about or watch on TV, things like that, to help you be able to connect the dots back to your own individual experience. Because without sitting in front of you and actually asking you questions unique to you and your experience, I'm not going to be able to give you a black and white response to here's how you heal from your trauma or your pain or your abuse, right? So if you can grasp that whatever your unique experience was during childhood, 
shaped you. And what you can look at is like, what did I, what beliefs did I develop because something was being said or done to me or something was being withheld from me and I was wanting it? Like, what did I start to do to either get what I was needing or try to protect myself from something coming at me? A good example of this is like, for me, my dad wasn't emotionally available. He he really, I mean, he's a man of few words in general, like that's just his personality, but he wasn't very open and communicative when it came to expressing his love for us. And, and I'll speak on behalf of myself, me, right, as, as one of his daughters. And I always just wanted to hear that he loved me and he was proud of me or he thought I looked pretty that day or he thought I was beautiful or whatever. I, I needed those words of affirmation and I wasn't going to get them, at least not willingly. Like he wasn't willingly walking around and offering them to me. And so I often felt like I had to beg for them. And so I'd stand in front of him begging for attention and being like, don't I look pretty today? And my dad would revert to sarcasm and snark. And he'd be like, ah, I don't know. What are you wearing? Like he couldn't ever just give you a very transparent, honest, thoughtful, kind response. Because for him and his own patterns and his own childhood trauma, you standing in front of him giving him that amount of attention meant he needed to find a way to manipulate and gain more. And so if he just gave you an honest response, you were going to walk away. But he got your attention now by withholding something. And so now you're begging for something and he's going to withhold it even more to keep you standing there giving him more attention and more attention and more attention, which is not good attention. You see how two traumatized individuals interacting together then just creates even more trauma in that environment. So if you grew up with, with parents that were traumatized adults, in other words, they endured some type of adverse childhood experience like my parents and never healed from it and then had kids of their own. And now their behaviors, even though they don't want to be taking them out on you, they're taking them out on you and traumatizing you when it gets passed down. You often hear people talk about generational patterns. Well, that's how that kind of happens. Some, it, the, the, it's got to stop with somebody. And for me, it stops with me. I can't speak for my siblings. It stops with me and my life and, and how it's going to ripple out in my life, right? So when you understand this, in other words, when you can look at your own childhood experience and look at your life now and reflect on what created the patterns and the belief systems you have now, then the next step in understanding it is to change it, right? So once you understand, well, I don't want to have to, let's say, beg for attention, then what do you do? Well, okay, let me let me create a new belief system about this. Like how do I 
want to get a tattoo. Like, I want to be around people who just willingly offer it, who are honest and forthcoming and transparent, and they're confident in their own right, and so they just can give it. They can recognize beauty when they see it, and they offer you the compliments, and because they feel good about themselves, so they can extend that out. That's what I want. So that's the new belief, right? So then you set a boundary with yourself, and you go, okay, I'm not going to keep people around me or continue to interact with people or engage with people or beg from people who don't line up with that new belief system. That doesn't mean cut them all out. That means establish boundaries. Like if I'm in front of my father again, it's like, okay, I'm not going to stand and beg for your attention. I see that you're not capable. So I'm just not going to hold that expectation of you anymore. I'm not going to seek out that need in this relationship. The relationship will change. You've heard me talk about this, right? It's not black and white. It's not, oh, they can't give it to me. I cut them off. It's, okay, they can't give it to me. There's a gray area here. Let me find it. Does the relationship shift? Does the nature of those interactions shift? Does my expectation shift? Do I communicate something to them? Can I set a boundary silently with myself so that when I am in their presence, I don't start doing this, saying this, wanting this, thinking this? And then, and here's where I wanted to get to in this episode, before I get too nasally to keep talking, (laughs) is then what happens? Like, you're aware You decide on a new belief system, a new behavior pattern for yourself. You set a boundary once you do that. Okay, I'm no longer going to do X, Y, and Z. I will now do this. I'm no longer going to expect this. I'm now going to do this, right? Whatever the boundary is. Then what? A lot of us get stuck. And I can speak on behalf of myself. I've been stuck here too. At times, we continue to identify with the pain. We continue to talk about the pain. We are trying to change these patterns and we're behaving differently and we're, we're engaging with new people and surrounding ourselves with people that are better for us or healthier for us or more supportive of us, but we're still identifying with that pain and we're retelling the story of the pain, of the pain, of the pain. And the more you identify with that, the longer you still live in it, even if your environments and relationships are changing. And I will say, for myself, it it becomes a little bit challenging at times because this is my work. And so, you know, a lot of things I've talked about and continue to talk about, I've outgrown. I no longer engage in those things. And it's not necessarily the fact that, like, The stories I tell emotionally impact me. They don't. But the more I retell it, the more I relive it. And the more I identify with it in order to teach it and connect with it. And it got me thinking in my own life and and kind of setting goals for my own future and my own business and, and how is this going to evolve as I continue to grow. And I realized that like at a certain point, What's that saying? My mom always says it. The buck stops here. <laughs> Is that it? The buck stops here. I, I, at, at a certain point, I will have to put all of this into like a course and be done with it and move to the next phase of like 
talking about what's next, right? And and then do it again and do it again. And I've done it before. I definitely have. And business has evolved over time. But it's harmful. It's even harmful when like every time you get together with that friend or that family member, the way you bond is you bitch about mom and dad or you bitch about that person, right? I feel like the way you're connecting with people is through pain. That's not good either. You want support systems, absolutely, but you don't want the only way you can talk with them or be around them is because you're analyzing things and you're bitching about things or you're trying to make sense of things and you're reliving this part of your life over and over and over again. Like It doesn't have to be so complicated. It really doesn't. At a certain point, you understand it you decide on something different, you establish a new way of being, set the boundaries, decide on a new behavior pattern, a new way of communicating, and then let it be and move forward. You can't identify it with it anymore. And, and I'm really emphasizing this because I have a lot of people that I speak to individually and I, and I work with one-on-one. And a common theme that takes place when they get to this point of of having to be at a fork in the road and decide are they going to keep walking in that circle and reliving that old stuff over and over again and making it a continuous problem into their future or are they going to decide on what's next for them right like what's the next goal they're setting like if you've worked through the pain You don't have to keep digging up more pain. That's a very profound thing. I'm going to say it again because I I think it's, it's important to hear. Once you've worked through the pain, you've worked through it. You've worked through it. You can, you don't have to keep digging up more areas of your life where it exists. You know how to deal with it. You know what to do. Now, for what it's worth, don't don't misunderstand what I'm saying. That doesn't mean growth stops. That doesn't mean you stop growing, and that doesn't mean you're not going to encounter future pain at some point and, and discover it came from childhood because this stuff is very layered. But I'll, like myself, right? Like I've worked through numerous times the, the dynamics of my upbringing and family dynamics and whatever. And and I hit a whole new layer when Phil entered my life because it was a new dynamic for me. There was someone new that was going to have to witness these family interactions. And that brought about maybe a level of shame or embarrassment, but also this conscious recognition that maybe I didn't want to behave the same way I used to before he was in my life. Maybe I wanted to behave differently now that he's here. And so, right, like it it didn't matter how many times prior to him entering my life I had worked through and understood and made sense of and adjusted my behaviors when it came to my family. But yeah, I bumped into and I wasn't looking for it. I wasn't digging it up versus what I'm talking about is like you've 
you've realized, okay, my mom or dad speaks to me this way. I don't like it. I understand why they do it. I understand it's not okay. Like me understanding why they do it is not an excuse for it continuing to happen. I know that I need to set a boundary with myself. I know that I need to stop participating in it this way. So I'm going to do this instead. And now you've decided on a new way to behave. And then what happens? The next time you visit your parents, you already know what you're going to do differently. They do the same thing they always do. And you go home and you call that friend or you talk to your, your partner and you bitch about the same thing that they've always done, that you know they've always done, that you know they're not going to change, which is why you decided you needed to do something differently for yourself, and you relive it. And you identify with the pain that it has always inflicted on you over and over and over again. I was doing this, there was a recent podcast episode that I um, delivered about friendships, and I was doing this recently with that particular friendship that I had mentioned in that podcast where it was like, I knew this. I knew this. Like, I knew this person was this way. I've known this person is this way for quite a while. And I was, my eyes were being opened over and over and over again as new things were happening in my life just to remind me like, yep, they're still that same person. They're still that same person. But I wasn't just like, aware of it and being like, right, that reinforces why I need this boundary for myself. Instead, I would drop into my pain and identify it. I'd be like, oh my God. Oh my God. Well, I don't understand why they're like that. That's different than me like grieving the friendship and having to work through those emotions of like letting it go. I would go into a place of like bitching about why this person is this way and I don't understand why they do this and that's probably why this happens in their life and this happens in their life and this happens in their life. And it was like wasted energy and attention on something that I was already aware of. It would be like, it would be like going to New York City and you know, I don't know, maybe you don't, maybe you don't, maybe you're from the Midwest and you don't know the jokes, but like you go to New York City, you're going to see piles of trash on the sidewalk, like I would bet a million dollars on it. You know, that's just how they collect the fucking trash over there. Just like piles of trash bags. It's disgusting. And when you walk past it on the sidewalk, it's like there's no use in bitching about it. It's there. You know it's there. It's always going to be there. It's a thing. It's got jokes. It's got memes. It's got gifts now. Like, it's, it's a thing. So why are you going to bitch about it? Why waste your energy identifying with how annoying it is? It's there. It exists. I will tell you, I got to credit where credit is due. I got to credit. Phil is amazing at this. And the first time I witnessed him do it, it pissed me off. (laughs) It pissed me off. I was like, don't you have feelings? Like, how do you jump from like the problem to the solution? You skip all the in-between. And he doesn't. He doesn't. Because when there are things that involve emotion, he's right there and he's being honest about it. But with shit that we've talked about or shit we already know or shit that he's aware of in his own life, 
It's just, yeah, I know it's there. And he doesn't invest his energy into identifying with it anymore. He's just like, yeah, it's there. And I'm going to do this about it. Solution. Moving forward. Forward movement. I'm not going to be stuck at that fork in the road. I'm not going to keep walking the same path that I have. Once I understand it, once it makes sense to me, once I know what to do, let's move on. So how does this connect to everything else I'm talking about? You're like, God, Amy, you went all over the place. Well, fair warning. I still have COVID and my brain is not necessarily up to par as, or what's the saying? Up to snuff? I don't know, but you get my point. It's not, it's not where it normally is. It's kind of like all over the place. So how it relates is this, you know, at some point, we, we can continue to talk about people-pleasing patterns, codependency, talk about, you know, dysfunctional relationships, unsupportive friendships, one-sided relationships. We can talk about all of these unhealthy dynamics until we're blue in the face. But at a certain point, we have to start to just look for what's the next step once it makes sense to us and stop getting trapped in it. And so why did I talk about adverse childhood experiences and then leap over here? Because I think it's a good way to end your year. I think it's important, you know, that you sit down with yourself. If if you are listening to this podcast or, or just working on yourself in general, and you feel stuck or trapped in something, I think it's a good place to just pause for a moment and reflect on what created this. Like, let me just map it out for myself and be done with it. What created this? Why am I always anxious here? Why am I always pleasing, appeasing over here? Why am I always settling for shit that is not the best for me or I can admit I don't want Why am I doing these things? Make sense of it by going backwards into where it began in the first place. And I will tell you about 90, I don't want to give a percentage, but we'll say 96% of the time it's linked to your childhood. You can ask a lot of professionals. Um, They'll probably tell you the same thing. It is. It's linked to childhood. So look at the dynamics in the house that you were raised in or the houses that you frequented. Maybe you weren't at home a lot. That impacted you. Maybe grandma and grandpa raised you. I'm sure that impacted you. Maybe you were adopted. That definitely impacted you. Maybe you were in foster care. That for sure impacted you. Maybe you had absentee parents. Maybe your parents were wealthy as fuck and never home. Maybe you always you were raised by the nanny. If I was your nanny, I raised you pretty well, but (laughs) it still impacted you. Maybe you had a babysitter who didn't give two shits about you. Maybe you were raised by your siblings. Maybe you had really great present parents and you still developed some belief system because your need wasn't getting met because nobody's perfect. Like that's a possibility too. Maybe you thought yelling and screaming it was a mode of communication 
and it was normal. It's not. There's no need to yell and scream. But I definitely grew up in a house where I thought everybody screamed and yelled until they were fucking red in the face and wanting to punch people. Like, I thought that was normal. But it wasn't at all. I would go to my friends' houses all the time and I was like, whew, relief. Like, you got to realize how this shit impacts you. When you grow up in an environment like that and then and then you leave it, well, you're traumatized. Your nervous system is now in overdrive because now you're waiting for danger. You're waiting for something to catch you off guard. This stuff affects you. If your nervous system is in overdrive, then you might lean into a relationship that is not healthy because it produces a lot of adrenaline and feels like you're on a roller coaster. And that, my friend, feels normal for you. Being calm doesn't. Being calm feels dangerous. I'll tell you, for me, being quiet alone feels safe. Being quiet with another person in the room is scary as fuck to me. That's a, that sets off a, an alarm in my body that says danger because when I was quiet in a room with another person, it meant they were pissed off at me and sending me a silent, passive-aggressive message that I needed to fix something. So to this day, to this day, if Phil and I are quiet for an elongated period of time, just like hanging out on the couch, even if we're watching a TV show, I will feel my nervous system start to activate. And I will have to like glance at him. And he caught on to it rather quickly when we first got together. And he was like, you have a hard time just being, don't you? And I was like, "Uh uh-huh. Yeah, because I am safe by myself. I was never safe with somebody else. When you understand that, then you understand why you act the way you do. And when you understand why you act the way you do and why you end up in the fucked up situations you're in or why you feel the fucked up ways you do, then you get to change it. You have control over that. Nothing has control over you. Let me say that again. You have control over it. Nothing has control over you. You you can calm and regulate your nervous system. You have control over that. My brain doesn't fucking stop to this day. I overthink like a mofo. Even this morning, I was laying in bed and I looked at Phil We were just laying there, staring at the ceiling, not ready to get out of bed yet. And I go, do you think about a thousand things while you're laying here? And he goes, no, I'm just thinking about cuddling with you. And I was like, God, how nice is that? (laughs) Because I think about a hundred different topics and they're never pleasant. All while laying there, recognizing we are staring at the ceiling, cuddling together. Like I am present and not present all at the same time. It's not fun. It's just my norm. Am I actively like aware of it and trying to constantly in those moments go, okay, breathe, regulate. Yeah, but this is time consuming. It should take time. But when you know what it is, you have the upper hand. When I can tell you I know exactly what activates my nervous system and I know exactly where it comes from, I have complete control and power over myself. Nothing has power or control over me. And that is a game changer. Because when you do that, then you're just one decision away from a whole new life. And then from there, move forward. Stop reliving and stop identifying. 
And I'm leaving you with this because moving into the new year, that's exactly what I'm going to do with you as well. We're going to stop reliving. Sure, we'll talk about things and and I'll still help you understand where things come from. But we're going to focus more on moving forward, growth, how to change those things, what are the next steps, the solution-based thinking versus staying in the problem. With that said, I am out of energy and losing my voice. I've got a Gatorade in hand and I've got episodes to binge watch. Happy New Year. Happy holiday to you all. I am so incredibly grateful to all of you for listening. Those of you who take the time to rate and review this podcast, you can now, yes, I'm so excited for this, you can now leave reviews on Spotify. So if you are a Spotify listener to the Connect Dots Bitch podcast, please go rate and review this podcast. Also, by the way, I don't know why Spotify has me <laughs> categorized as comedy. Uh, I should be under self-help or alternative health and wellness like I am on Apple Podcasts. If you are listening on Apple, you can still rate and review me there. Please do that because it helps reach more listeners. The more reviews I get in, the more people think I'm legit. (laughs) And who doesn't go and look at the reviews of a podcast? Everybody does. So if you have a moment, just please go hit the five stars. Leave me a little comment. Even if it's a, I just love her and I listen to her every week, whatever it is, I read them all and I'm incredibly grateful for your time spent listening to me talk to you, talk to myself, laugh, learn, and grow. Um, That's it, guys. I'll see you in 2022.